0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 15th chapter. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, "'Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon.' But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty Father, your Son Jesus Christ is the seat of your mercy for us. As we meditate on his word, renew our faith in him so that we might turn to him in thanksgiving for your gifts. And pleading for your mercy in all our needs. For his name's sake. Amen. Here again we hear in the gospel. Jesus is called, not by his teaching, but by his actions. To persistence in prayer and trust in his mercy. And we are given as an example of faith a person who, in the world of Jesus, is one who has least to expect from him. She is a Canaanite. Mark, in his gospel, calls her Syrophoenician. And there the people of Syria and people of Phoenicia that is Tyre and Sidon they were amongst the peoples that are in the Old Testament called Canaanites in fact the people of Tyre and Sidon call themselves Canaanites as far as we know the name Phoenician was given to them by the Greeks and there are all kinds of Stories about the Phoenicians that are told by their enemies who, generally speaking, admire them, even though they were enemies. Stories of child sacrifice and all kinds of other terrible things. There is, in fact, in Old Testament another Syrophoenician woman who is well-known by name. Her name was Jezebel, and even if you can't remember in detail exactly what Jezebel got up to, you know that if somebody's called Jezebel, that's probably not a compliment these days. Please don't call your daughter or grandchild Jezebel. She was a Syrophoenician woman whose distinguishing achievement was to lead her husband Ahab, the king of Israel, to the worship of the gods of the Syrophoenicians, the Baals. And Elijah spent much of his ministry fighting against that idolatry. She was a representative of the people who represented to Israel Not only idolatry, but the threat of that idolatry seeping into Israel itself. And she was a woman. And in that culture, again, as you know, no doubt, women had much less of a voice than they do today in our culture. So a woman approaching Jesus could not expect him necessarily ever to respond, simply because it was not necessarily at all appropriate culturally. But if that woman was a Gentile and the man was a Jew, the chances of her getting from him what she wanted reduced very close to zero before we had even heard what her business was. That is to say, it's unlikely that the disciples thought that Jesus' behavior was in any way surprising. Likewise, it is unlikely that the woman herself probably didn't think, probably thought that uh, that Jesus' behavior was unusual. That's what she might have expected. Even if she had been a Syrophoenician man, Jesus would have been well within his rights by Jewish way of thinking to ignore him and just go on his way. Many devout Jews try to avoid unnecessary interaction with Gentiles. But the key to this whole event... Is that she had no regard whatsoever for expectations from the world, expectations of Jewish culture, of her own culture. She had no regard whatsoever to whether she had a, um, whether she uh, had any reason for confidence on the basis of who she was on the basis of what her relationship to Jesus was, on the basis of the fact that she was a Syrophoenician woman. She had only two things in mind. Her daughter, who was oppressed by a demon, and Jesus, who had power over demons. And between those two facts, her daughter's need and Jesus' authority and ability to deal with her daughter's need were the only things that she considered. Who she was, what right she had, she entirely ignored. And that is our first lesson about faith today. This is how faith works and functions. Faith takes an object And then it lays hold of that object. The natural illustration that comes to my mind always when I think about this is very closely related to my own weakness. I have a phobia. I really dislike heights. I've had to scale masts of boats in the past, and I can tell you that... You could give me quite an unpleasant cocktail to drink, which I would rather do than climb mast of boat. I don't like it at all. But when you go up a mast of a boat when you don't like heights, there is just one redeeming feature. You've got to trust that whatever it is that you attach to when you go up will hold. And it doesn't matter in that moment if you're attached to your harness, and that harness is attached to a rope, and that rope is pulling up, and there's somebody at the bottom with muscle to do that. At that moment, how you feel about height becomes an irrelevance. What your attitude to the situation is, or what your particular abilities to fly are, should infer none of those things matter. The only thing that matters is whether that thing that is holding on to you, and to which you're holding can be trusted so you have one need not to come crashing down and you have one hope whatever it is that's holding you up and faith looks simply to the thing that can be trusted it takes the object and it holds on to it and it holds on to it to borrow a phrase from, my, uh, from, from the place where I grew up, like a hog holds on to a loaf. It won't let go. Once it's got hold of it, it's got it. And that's what faith does. And this woman is a beautiful illustration of that. She doesn't look at herself. She doesn't ask, what are the kind of general expectations for people like me from people like him? No, she needs healing, he can heal. And between those two poles, she will not let go. She holds on to Jesus like a hog to a loaf until she gets what she came for. And here Jesus does something that we might think is uncharacteristic of him and surprising. But in fact, is not at all either of those things. Jesus plays hard to get. He answers, first of all, doesn't answer at all, and then answers in a way that you might take as being rather discouraging. First, a silence, nothing at all. Then she might consider herself sent to Coventry and go away and hang her head. But you see, she only came for one thing. She came for Jesus to do what Jesus does, which is drive out demons. Jesus came, when he came, he was preaching the good news saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. And the first thing we begin to see that the sick are being healed and demons are being driven out. That's how the Gospels begin, describing Jesus' ministry. And clearly this woman, though she was not an Israelite, and, didn't, and, and we are at this point, we're not even in Israel. We are in the region of district of Tyre and Sidon, that is in Phoenicia. Even this woman there had heard of this. And she knew who Jesus was and what Jesus was about. Jesus was about the destruction of the power of Satan and his angels and all the, uh, the evil spirits over God's good creation. And so she took hold of who Jesus was and paid no regard whatsoever to what was happening in that moment. Second lesson about faith. She dealt with Jesus and her daughter according to her daughter's need and according to who she knew Jesus to be. And she ignored her particular moment, experience in that moment. She might have said, well, Jesus is to be silent to people like me. Clearly, this is not for me. But you see, it wasn't about her. It was about Jesus. Faith to hold of Jesus rather than of her own experience or her own merit or worthiness. And so she ignored how things appeared. She ignored her present experience and simply clung on to Jesus all the more firmly. While Jesus was saying nothing, she, he wasn't saying no. Well, that's good. That's good. There is, therefore, hope. And then, by her persistence, she manages to recruit reluctant intercessors, people praying for her. Now, the disciples don't go to Jesus because they are, according to Matthew, because they are so overwhelmed with compassion for her. Never mind, they pray for her anyway. Send her away, she's crying after us. Just give her what she's asking for. We don't really want to put up with the situation anymore. It's not the most overflowing loving com- uh, uh, motivation for prayer, but it'll do. It will do. If your prayers for other people are motivated not by overwhelming, heart-burning love, for those people, but you pray nevertheless, good. Jesus wants us to pray for one another. God wants us to be interceding for one another and for the world and he doesn't say, but don't do it until you mean it. Scriptures say, you know, pray without ceasing once you're in the mood. Just as pray without ceasing. Pray for one another. Paul says "You know, pray for us also. At this point, Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he doesn't say who those are. Is that a yes or is that a no? It's not clear. Excellent. There's still hope. He didn't exactly say, I have nothing to do with this woman or I will not tell her. He's being sufficiently ambiguous to leave a window open for hope. There is still hope. And so she draws nearer still. And Mark gives us an interesting detail. At this point, Jesus has gone into a house. He was in the house by this time. And when Matthew says, she came and helped before him, she barged into the house. You know, it's like somebody, we really, really want something from you. And you talk to them for a bit, you walk away, you go to your house and you shut the door. Next thing you know, the door is open and you're in the living room and there's a person on the floor in front of you saying, you haven't answered me yet. A bit rude. (laughs) A bit rude. Never mind. She drew near near to Jesus. Because she would not go. He hadn't said no. And so, she kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. No appeal to anything at all. No trying to recruit others. Just a simple, Lord, help me. And there you have it. The situation stripped down to his barest bones. He's the Lord. She needs help. And when Jesus opens his mouth, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, he doesn't say, it's not for you. And though some people who should know better, put it that way, have sometimes taken this phrase and said, there you see, even Jesus was sometimes guilty of misogyny or xenophobia and he had to be schooled by her. None of this blasphemous rubbish Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And what he was doing is what he does. See, this is not surprising behavior from Jesus at all. Throughout Scripture, and in fact in all of our lives too, this is how God works. He gives to us what we need at the proper time. And just like in everyday life. Sometimes we need pampering, and we need a cuddle, or a hot bowl of soup, or a friendly word. And at other times, we need admonition, or verbal encouragement, or sometimes we just need to be told to get off our backsides and get some exercise. I remember as a child, I sang in a choir, and a couple of times a year, we would go away for a weekend, and instead of our slightly um over the hill, and kindly, choir master leading the rehearsals. This ferocious woman was brought in, and for a whole weekend, she was beastly to us, absolutely beastly. Never smiled, told us every time we got anything wrong. And by the end of the weekend, we sang like angels, because that's what we needed. We need someone to come and kick us really hard and say, you're not as good as you think you are, but we can make you better. And that was an act of kindness. At the end of it, when the whole thing was, she would be, you know, there was this beaming face and say, you are wonderful. It's like, you could have told us that earlier while we were kind of sweating under this oppression, this dictatorship. (coughs) But this is exactly what love does. It does not give us an easy ride when we need to be strengthened. And the only way to get stronger is to lift weights and get tired. Only way to get fast is to run. Only way to get fit is to get tired, is to wear yourself out. Just like Jacob, God blessed him by wrestling him and giving him a permanent limp. And that by that, drew out of Jacob that beautiful, beautiful prayer. I will not let go until you bless me i will not let you go until you bless me and this dear friends has been given for to be your prayer too we have been promised a blessing in god's son who wrestled once with jacob he wrestled with the devil and when he wrestled with the devil he won but when jacob wrestled with him jacob won because jesus is a fount and source of every blessing and those blessings are guaranteed and promised for you because you bear his name. You have been made co-heirs with Christ. And there are times when we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and feel like there's no hearing. We pray as if into a void and nothing comes back. And our prayers seem to go unanswered. And sometimes our hearts feel so cold that it seems like there's no point even opening our mouths let alone our hearts to God and at these times we have before us the example of this wonderful woman who had been given the grace of persistent faith of knowing what she needed and knowing Jesus better than he sounded because even now he did not say not for you Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I'm not claiming any special privileges, she says. I'm not claiming that I have any right to anything other than what naturally comes because you are gracious. Crumbs will do. Crumbs will do. Let me be a dog in your house. I'd rather be a dog in your household than to be a prince or princess outside. This, dear friends, is what faith teaches us, what scripture paints before us today, that to be in the house of the Lord is what we want and what we need and on what it means to be partakers of salvation. As the psalm says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness because when we are once we are within the household of god then all the riches and blessings of god's household become ours in due measure and if god it pleases god to give us crumbs for the for a time those crumbs are more valuable than all the vaults of gold and silver and and jewels that this world can offer and crumbs at the table of the lord are more enriching and nourishing than the feasts and bankers of this world because they are eternal, eternal tidbits. And they will keep us nourished and they will give us what we need at the proper time. If God seems sometimes to play hard to get, he's playing hard to get because we we are keeping our distance. And so we must like this woman to draw near. If God seems not to hear us, well, let's go closer and shout louder. And when he is playing hard to get, he's not doing it because he no longer cares about us or because he doesn't want to give to us what we need. It is because he wants us to learn faith and to trust in him. How much better off this woman was in having gone through this process than if she had stayed at a distance from Jesus, shouting from a distance, Lord, help me, and it had all been done there. By his silence, the Lord drew her right in. And she could say for the rest of her life that I have knelt before Jesus and he gave me what I wanted. I have knelt before Jesus and he spoke to me. In fact, he didn't just say anything. A woman, great is your faith. (coughs) Great is your faith. And her faith was great and was shown to be great because Jesus demonstrated it by demanding of her great faith. To whom much has been given. Much will also be expected. And this woman had been given the gift of great faith. And she needed great faith. But in exercising that faith. In hanging on to Jesus. Like the hog to the loaf. Not letting go. Because she knew. What was needed. And where to get what she needed. She was not disappointed. Because no one. In the entire history of mankind who put their trust in Jesus was ever disappointed. So, fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to him alone. Do not consider yourself. Do not ask yourself, am I worthy? Am I good enough? Do not ask yourself, is my faith good enough or strong enough? Am I in the right state of mind spiritually to be asking these things? No, none of those things matter. None of those things are relevant. What matters is that you need Jesus and Jesus is full of love and mercy for you. He gave himself up for you and he can give you much more, much more and much better things than healing or earthly happiness, health or wealth. He can give you eternal, eternal joy, eternal salvation. To cast out one demon he needed only to say the word but for you he gave his life on the cross and when he did that he meant it and as long as he means it that is all that you need Amen So may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus (coughs) Amen.